Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, uh, a scientist once said, quote, My findings are meaningless if taken out of context. The next day, the papers all reported, Scientist declares, My findings are meaningless. Context is very important in interpreting the Scripture. The way that I love to interpret Scripture, and I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before, is context and, of course, narrative, right? Looking at the the story of Scripture. Where is it going? So uh, when we read Scripture, we can ask ourselves two questions. Number one, uh, in terms of context, that is, what is the surrounding text uh, the surrounding the text that we're trying to understand to sort of get a sense of what's going on there. And number two, how does this piece of Scripture fit with the larger narrative or the unfolding story, okay? Without asking these questions, we can take Scripture out of context and we can misunderstand the intention and the meaning and the fullness of that which is behind it. In a TV show that I used to watch, there's a character that everyone says is crazy. And uh, someone bumps into him while he's holding coffee, and he's almost burned by his very hot coffee. And then this is what he says, that almost burned me. You know what I would have done if it did? He pulls out a lighter, and he says, burn for a burn, baby. That's in the Bible. Okay, indeed, it is in the Bible. In fact, it's in this week's Parsha, okay? But are we going to take the exegetical insights from someone that everyone says is crazy? Or are we going to look at the larger narrative and intention and see what this scripture really means? Which one would you like to do? Narrative. Okay, good. Context. Narrative and context. So this morning, we're going to look at this section of the Parsha, and I have two points Yes, you get one point off, um, because I don't do uh, points in my sermon that often. So uh, for you, one point off. Point number one, an eye for an eye. Point number two, life for life. That's easy to remember, right? Eye for an eye and life for life. So let's begin with point number one, an eye for an eye. This week's Parsha gives us uh, an an often quoted motto. We've heard this before, right? But it's been misinterpreted quite often as well, just like uh, our our crazy friend, right? Burn for a burn. So let's take a look at Exodus 21, uh, uh, verses 22 through 25 in the context. If people are fighting with each other and happen to hurt a pregnant woman so badly that her unborn child dies, then even if no other harm follows, he must be fined. He must pay the amount set by the woman's husband and confirmed by judges. But if any harm follows, then you are to give, here it is, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, 
burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Hmm. An eye for an eye, right? We've heard this before. We, there, we also have this exchange from Fiddler on the Roof, where a villager, right, is saying we, we need to fight back, right? And he's saying uh, we should defend ourselves, an eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth, to which the very wise Tevya responds, very good. That way the whole world will be blind and toothless. Is this uh, a biblical support for personal vengeance? Tevia seems to think that it's not, and he's a very wise guy, right? But how can we know? How can we know? The surrounding passage implies, as we read, thank you, uh, thank you, Gordon, uh, the inherent value of life, right? Even for unborn babies, right? In, in, in the womb, right, there is value to life. Life for a life refers back to that. Life is precious and valuable, You all, beloved, are God's creation. You have inherent value even before you were born. In your mother's womb, you had value. You were knit together there, and you were created by God in his image, right? And that means you were given a purpose of reflecting his goodness and his love. In other words, the value of humans in the image of God is underneath this text. That is the context. In terms of the meaning of the phrases like an eye for an eye or life for life, what does that exactly mean? I'd like us to back up a few verses, right? This is just two verses earlier in Exodus 21, verses 18 through 19. This is very interesting. Okay, so if two people fight and one hits the other with a stone or with his fist, and the injured party doesn't die but is confined to his bed, then if he recovers enough to be able to walk around outside, even with a cane, see, this is very specific, the attacker will be free of liability, except to compensate him for his loss of time and to take responsibility for his care until his recovery is complete, right? So what is the idea behind this text? It's not retribution, right? It's not vengeance, but it's restitution. Not punitive justice, but restorative justice behind the text. The purpose of the discipline or consequences in the Torah is not, is not payback, right? But it's always restoration. This is the context of Scripture. This is a repeating narrative that would be restoration. This is the direction of the narrative. Thank you, Gordon. So in the original application of the eye for an eye text, based on the context, the rabbis looked at this, and they they said, well, um, we don't think it means that if uh, you wouldn't take someone's eye out if they took your eye, right? We wouldn't interpret it that way, but they would offer compensation, right? Just like uh, the text that I read afterward, that you compensate someone for their loss uh, for injury or something like that. And especially... They know that it means that you wouldn't take vengeance on your own, right? So you took my eye, I'm going to take your eye, right? That is clearly against the, the, the rest of the Torah, the context, where it says uh, vengeance is the Lord's. We are not to take vengeance, okay? And so if, if this were to happen, it would be a judge that would make the determination of compensation. 
There are plenty of prohibitions against vengeance and toward restoration, including in this very portion, the very section. Exodus 23, verses 4 through 5, says this. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey straying, right? I mean, we, we can update this, I'm sure, in our own minds, if, but you understand the principle, okay? You must do what? Return it to him. So that would be your enemy's, what today? I, iPhone, glasses, your enemy's glasses, right? Or maybe your enemy does have a donkey. You know, they're still farmers, okay? And you see the donkey which belongs to someone who hates you. Lying down, helpless under its load. You just kind of, okay, well, too bad, right? No, you are not to pass by, but you go help him free it, right? Even if it's your enemy, okay? Even if it's someone that's, that's really bothering you that you don't particularly care for because we are to reflect what? Restoration and justice and forgiveness. Where does this ethic come from? From the scriptural narrative. If you've been following along in the Parsha, right, in the Parashot, you've noticed this ark, right? Thank you, Gordon. So God has rescued Israel from slavery. We came out, and then we got the Ten Commandments. Remember that last week? Okay. And now he's giving us more instruction based on this narrative of coming out of Egypt. Remember, also, we were kvetching in the desert. And God still took care of us. Remember that? Right? Beloved, God is in the business of rescuing and restoring and mediating blessing. And so we, as his people, are to reflect that in our daily lives. That's the purpose of these, uh, these judgments, these laws. Okay? We also see themes from the earlier context of Scripture emerge. Right? There's foundational texts in Genesis. Right? What does the creation account tell us? We are made in God's image. That's where that comes from. We should reflect his love and his restoration. And that there is innate value in human life. That, comes, that looks back to creation, the creation narrative. Unfortunately, we know that people can take biblical verses out of context to justify their behavior. In the case of eye for an eye, or burn for a burn, or life for a life, it's been used to justify vengeance and unforgiveness. And this is exactly what was happening in the days of Yeshua when he was teaching. But really, an eye for an eye means the exact opposite. Okay? And so, Messiah Yeshua, he corrects the misunderstandings of his day, right? Perhaps of our day. And he takes restoration to the fullest conclusion in the Torah on the Mount, or, or the Sermon on the Mount, as it's known. Okay? So he references this text, and this is in Matthew 5, 38 through 42, very famous teaching. And this is what Yeshua says. You have heard that our fathers were told, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you not to stand up against someone who does you wrong. On the contrary, if someone hits you on the right cheek, let him hit you on the left cheek too. If someone wants to sue you for your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if a soldier forces you to carry his pack for one mile, carry it for two. When someone asks you for something, give it to him. When someone wants to borrow something from you, lend it to him. Okay? This kind of reminds us of the, the, the donkey of your enemy, right? 
So we, we, we understand that this, he's fulfilling that ethic. Yeshua has just said before this, right, he has come to fulfill the Torah, fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Thank you, Gordon. So we understand he's not doing away with any of these commandments, but he's reinterpreting it for us, right? So when he says, you have heard this, but I tell you that, right, it's not a replacement, right, but it's a clarification. He's saying this is, saying, this is what it really means. Yeshua gives the fullest, highest moral level of meaning in the Torah because he is the living Torah. And so this is a different kind of retribution. It's another level. It's a retribution of forgiveness. It's a radical response, right, of evil, and you give good based on that. It's the same thing as blessing your enemy by returning their donkey or their eyeglasses in the Parsha. It's the same principle. This is the kingdom of God. This is a radical response to evil by blessing, being a blessing. It doesn't mean that we need to let people walk all over us and and slap us around, right? But we understand the intent behind it. It's describing the kingdom of God, blessing as a response to persecution. And this kind of turns eye for an eye on its head, right? If someone does wrong to you, return them good. This is the direction of the kingdom of God in the scriptural narrative. After all, God does good to us even when we do wrong to him. He is merciful on us. So if someone has a harsh word to say to us, maybe someone close to us hurts us or hurts your heart, how are we to respond? Or are we to react, right? It's easy to react, right, with equal payout, right? Especially for those of us who are, uh, who are married, right? You want to try to get back, right? Well, you did this, right? But that's not the kingdom of God, right? We're to respond with kindness. As a response to our complaining, remember, God responded with kindness in the desert. God, he took us out of the narrow place, which is Egypt, Mitzrayim, and he brought us into the broad place, the, the, the land of Israel. The Israelites go from being totally stuck between the Egyptian army and the sea to a miraculous salvation. The kingdom of Yeshua is going from death to life. It's the only kingdom that's going the other way, right? As I like to say, he's, he's going from anger to healing. It's going from conflict to shalom, which is peace and wholeness. So therefore, we should be godly in our behavior, right? And do likewise in the power of his might. We, we need to be going along with his trajectory, his narrative, which is the kingdom of God. I recently saw a, a social experiment where there were two kids, and they would be told that they would both be given a snack, right? So they were very excited, right? And there was a little, there was a plate and a little, uh, like one of those fancy uh, covers, like you have like at a diner and they lift it up. So uh, the, uh, the mom was there and she's like, okay, I'm going to uh, uh, let you guys have your snack and you can open it as soon as I walk away. So the, the, the adult walks away and the kids open up and what's underneath, right? On one plate, you have two Oreos, and on the other plate, zero Oreos. And the kids are like, what? wait, you know, they're, they're very confused. This, this shouldn't be, right? Okay? And the vast majority of the kids 
uh, in, this, uh, in this study, um, they, they shared with the child that had none, right? It was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, oh, well, I have two. It must have been a mistake, right? So this is, we could get a new saying out of this maybe, right? A cookie for no cookie, right? Instead of an eye for an eye, a cookie for no cookie, right? But it describes the kingdom of God. This is what I think Yeshua was getting at, right? It's the way of restoration. And if children can do it, then so can we. Amen? And this brings us to the second point, life for life. The kingdom of Yeshua is indeed life for life. Life for life is the first phrase of this original text in Exodus. But we understand that this text is it's more than payback, right? It's not really that, but it is restoration. Then these words take on a whole new meaning. Life for life is what Hashem actually models for us. It should be no surprise that the fullness of the kingdom of God is expressed in Yeshua's sacrifice, that is, his giving his own life. This is the way um, Paul describes it in Galatians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It's kind of a, uh, an introduction. He says, Grace and shalom to you from God our Father and from the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who did what? Gave himself for our sins. Say that with me. Gave himself for our sins, so that he might deliver us from the present evil world system in obedience to the will of God our Father. Right? There's a lot. It's just a little introduction, but there's a lot packed in there, right? Paul used, uh, used uh, words very well. So when it says he gave himself, it's, it's referring to the fact that Yeshua gave his very life. And for what purpose? For deliverance. It's, there's that word again, right? Rescuing, restoration. The fullness of restoration is found in this very idea. Yeshua's life for our lives. Yeshua's eyes for our eyes. There's an exchange there, but it's, it's renewed, right? The sense is totally different. His lamp was darkened so that we could have light. Paul puts it this way in another letter. This is to the Ephesians, um, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Let's read this together. But God is so rich in mercy and loves us with such intense love that even when we were dead because of our acts of disobedience, he brought us to life along with the Messiah. It is by grace that you have been delivered. That is, God raised us up with the Messiah Yeshua and seated us with him in heaven in order to exhibit in the ages to come how infinitely rich is his grace, how great is his kindness toward us who are united with the Messiah Yeshua. Okay? In other words, our, our sins and disobedience, this is since, uh, this goes back to Adam and Chava, right? That has brought nothing but death. But God brings us life through the life of Yeshua, through the life of Yeshua. Notice again, the text speaks of deliverance. It's, it's that, that idea, right? We're coming out of the slavery of Egypt, but this time it's the slavery of sin. It's a rescuing, it's a restoration, just like the Exodus. So let us take time this Shabbat to give thanks, 
to worship the Lord for the true fulfillment of this scripture and the whole narrative of the Torah, which is brought to fullness in the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. Trusting in Yeshua is the ultimate expression. It's the fullness of the Torah. So let's take some time this Shabbat to realign ourselves, recommit ourselves to continue with this narrative, to continue the kingdom of God in our daily walk, right? He has given us his eyes to see for our eyes when we were blind. So we should dedicate our eyes back to him. Amen? Right? He has given us his life, right? So therefore, we, we dedicate our lives back to him. Life for life. Yeshua has died in our place for the fullness of God's kingdom. So let us respond with thanksgiving and praise and surrender that we lay down our own lives just like he did. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu, our Father, we thank you uh, for your faithfulness, that the fullness of, of the Torah and the scriptural narrative of restoration is found in Yeshua and his teaching, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, O God. And we thank you for the truth of these things. We pray that we would internalize that truth and in our daily lives that we would be loving to our enemies, that we would um, think about um, what we say and what we do to reflect your goodness, O God, to the earth, and uh, that we would be uh, image bearers of your love, O God, and that we would give you our life back to you for you giving us your life. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Please rise as you're able for the ironic blessing and not the Kiddush, because we're going to be taking uh, the Lord's table downstairs. Give a recognition, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you shalom, completeness, wholeness, and restoration through Yeshua the Messiah, and the Prince of Shalom, and in his name we pray. Amen.